Thank you, Garrett. That last verse, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Who is Israel? We're going to be talking about him a little later this morning. Well, not later, now, but we read Psalm 25, we sang Psalm 130, and I was struck by how the message of the two psalms is similar, and those two psalms both uh, accurately um, communicate what's going on in the story that we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, we always learn better from stories and better from other people's lives, and so we're going to continue on looking at, at Jacob and, and just what he's going through, this walk of faith, this journey of faith that he's on. And yes, we're going to see parallels, parallels with our lives, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to learn and apply truth to our life as well. So let's ask the Lord to uh, just speak to us as we look into his word. Heavenly Father, you are God. You are our great God. And we're thankful for that because as we've sung and as we realize from the scripture that has been read, we are not that great. In fact, sometimes we uh, are the opposite. We are running in the opposite direction. But Lord, beyond being great, you are gracious and you continue to pursue us. You continue to work with us. And that is perhaps where we understand um, the absolute immensity of your love, that you pursue your children, that you continue to work with us where we're at and, and draw us to yourself and form us into people who will be better image bearers for you. So help us. This is part of the process right here, right now, as we look into your word and we just pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that we would be challenged, that we would not just um, think of these truths that we rerun over as interesting things, but these are life-changing things that you have, you've given to us, Lord. So thank you for being willing to continue to struggle with us uh, in this journey of faith, and Lord, help us to be all in, to be willing to struggle with you in this. So teach us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. So we're in Psalm, or Psalm Genesis 32 this morning. And uh, while leaving Laban, you remember, was difficult for Jacob. Uh, you could say it was a, a botched departure. Um, from the human perspective, his escape was not clean. Not everyone acted as they ought, and Laban easily caught up with him. matter of three days, he had run him down and he was on his doorstep or on at his tent flap maybe you could say and he was furious I mean not only had the trickster been tricked had he been stolen from his household gods were gone but he'd been chasing chasing Jacob for three days and so you can imagine he was hot under the collar you remember how the, your parents said to you don't make me come over there right don't do something wrong and then make me come to you. And this is where Laban was at with Jacob. He'd run for three days and it couldn't have been any worse. Things were about to get ugly. And then the Lord steps in. 
there was a botched departure, but it was, this is the beautiful part. Um, not that Jacob got away with an infraction with the, his wife, Rachel, stealing the, the household gods. Not just that he got away, but the beautiful part is that the sovereign God of the universe seemingly steps into situations that are full of, of human ignorance. They're full of bad behavior, both sides. Laban and Jacob, both bad behavior. And then we could say from the side of Jacob or Laban, there was absolute evil. Absolute evil. And then God produces a good outcome. And not just a, a good outcome uh, cinematically, where, you know, the, the good guys win, the bad guys lose, and everybody's happy, you know? No, it was more than that. He doesn't just um, work to make everything better. He works to make people better, doesn't he? And so the, the beautiful part is how God steps in, calms the situation. And I mean, even Laban, <laughs> the evil guy, was talking about God and made a covenant before God with Jacob. And then Jacob, he's learning. He's learning about faith. He's learning about how to walk with God and how that transforms, that transforms his, um, his life. The way he lives his life changes everything. Well, let's see. Even though Jacob tried to skip a class and avoid the end of the unit test, Imagine this, the teacher shows up at his door, irritated with having to come to him, and the test is upgraded in difficulty. You think that would ever happen? Well, not today, probably, but, you know, you try and skip a test, the teacher comes after you. Well, God does that with us. He's committed to molding us into the people that we, we should be. And that's love. And that's blessing. That's grace. So for us, we learn rather than look for the good and the bad or try and convince people that we are the good, try and justify ourselves by saying, well, at least I wasn't as bad as this person and look at all the good I've done. We realize that God's the justifier. Remember that verse we read in Romans 3, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because Jesus Christ, it's only through Jesus Christ that anyone can be justified. That's it. It's not through what we do. It's not our attempts. And God, realizing this, didn't just try and gloss over like we sometimes want to do with ourselves. He didn't just try and gloss over our sins. He took care of our sins. He came as a man. He died. His blood was shed to pay for our sins. So God is just in overlooking sins because he's not just glossing over them. They're paid for. They're washed away. And so, what happens? How do we respond? Does our gratitude inspire us to want to live in a way that measures up? That's what should be happening. That's what happens when we truly understand our justification. We go, I want to live out this faith. 
I don't just want to talk about this faith. I don't just want to say, oh, Christ died for me and, you know, I'm on this free ride here. No, we want to live that faith out. We want to walk in obedience. We want to live in relationship with this God who saved us. And so Jacob turns from this test, this great test, leaving Laban. And he's passed it. He's passed the test by grace. But he has no time to celebrate because the final exam is looming. He's preparing to meet his brother. You remember that. Jacob is going home. And who's waiting for him? Esau. His big brother. Nice. His big brother who promised that he would kill him in order to comfort himself. Those were his words. I'm going to wait. I'm going to find the opportune time and I'm going to kill Jacob. And I will feel better. And we say, ah, the life of a deceiver. This is Jacob's got himself into trouble um, through his deceit. And we ask ourselves the question, what will he do now? Will he run or will he face his fear? Will he face his fear in faith? Will he face his fear in his own frailty? You see, as long as we, as we know this is the way the Lord wants us to go. We need to honestly engage with things that we don't like. And so fortunately, he doesn't run away. He goes forward. And God will show him and God will show us that he's for us, that he's with us. So let's start reading this chapter, this story, Genesis 32, verses 1 to 8. It says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when God saw them, he, er, sorry, and when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban, I've stayed with him until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid, distressed. He divided the people who were with him, the flocks, the herds, the camels, into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, the other camp that is left will escape. Interesting. An interesting development. Like much of what we read and reread in God's Word, we don't have all the details given. It's just a mention. As Jacob is traveling home, as he's thinking about meeting with Esau, angels, the angels of God meet him. How? We don't know. How did he see them? How did he recognize them? We don't know. But there was this unmistakable encounter that was orchestrated by God. And we may not have them dramatically in this way that we could say, oh, an angel of God. But there are times when God 
comes to us, he communicates to us, and we know that that was God speaking to us through some circumstance, through, through, through some thought that has come to our head, through some conviction. And this is a beautiful thing because he needed God's confirmation in this moment. And so once again, we have God's unmistakable stamp of grace on this part of the story. He's heading toward the fray. And God doesn't come to him, doesn't chastise him for past failures. God just comes to him and communicates somehow with these angels that he's with him. I'm with you, Jacob. I'm with you as you face what you're facing right now. And, and Jacob's kind of overwhelmed and he goes, this is, we're going to call this place Mahanaim, double camp. Because it's not just us who are camping here. God is camping here too. This is great. And we look at Jacob and how he continues to plan. Continues to plan for this meeting with Esau. And we see growth in how he continues to plan. The old Jacob would have tried to slink into Canaan unnoticed and cash in on the birthright, right? That's who Jacob was. But this is the new Jacob. This is the Jacob that is growing. And what is he doing? He is announcing his arrival. He's sending people ahead with gifts. It's not Jacob the deceiver trying to get. I mean, you look at what he's sending, all these animals and stuff. He's being very generous with his brother. And you think of that, when someone is touched by grace, when someone recognizes the grace they have received, they're willing to turn around and give that grace. Have we received grace? Do we recognize the grace we've received? Because sometimes I think we just think, oh, it's old hat, you know, oh yeah. Yeah, we're saved. Jesus' blood covers it all. I have eternity. But we don't really think about what that means and doesn't transform the way we act toward other people. And here, Jacob is under pressure where, you know, a guy who's a, a deceiver, a guy who's selfish, a guy who's focused on himself should be turning inward and he's becoming more generous. I'm not saying he's perfect, but there's change going on, isn't there? Give him a break. He's a different guy. He's growing, right? Are we? Are we growing? Are we becoming more generous? You think of what happened when Jesus sent out his disciples. These guys who'd experienced grace. They were walking with the Lord. They'd, they'd come to know this is the gospel. This man is the gospel. And Jesus was going to send them out into hostile a hostile environment to share this gospel with other people. And Jesus said this, this, these words that stuck in my mind when I was reading this, freely you have received, freely give. See, that, that is the character change that begins at salvation. 
and that continues to carry on. We grow in grace. Not just the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we grow in his grace. And we're willing to show grace. And so we see in this story how Jacob becomes and is becoming a more generous person. And we know that Christ's disciples were challenged with this idea too, this truth. Freely you receive, freely give. And so he's sharing his his wealth with an antagonist. He's loving his enemy. And I also think of that verse that says, love covers a multitude of sins. Have we tried that? Have we tried to love people graciously? And as I said, I'm not saying Jacob was perfect. He's still a man. He still has his fears. And we have to realize that he's in process. And that, as I have said before, the life of faith includes fear. The life of faith includes doubts. I mean, we're still on this journey. We're still in this process. We're still growing. God is still teaching. God is still trying to impress us with the fact that he is here with us. He is for us. So he's going to take us into more challenging situations. But we also see hints of, of Jacob's doubts, right? I mean, at the first part of what we just read, he's going, oh, double camp, God's with us. The last part of this section, he's saying, double camp. <laughs> I'm going to protect my assets here. I'm going to divide my camp. So if the one side gets all wiped out, at least the other side gets away. Perfect faith? No. Growing faith? Yes. Fears? True. But he's facing these fears. He's facing these fears. He's putting his trust in the promise of God, but not completely. That promise, God has said to him twice, very clearly, verse 3 of chapter 31, verse chapter 28, verse 15, he says, I will be with you. And he's shown it here. The angels of God meet Jacob. But I think as human beings, we still struggle. As C.S. Lewis said, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. But we are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be, right? Sometimes God takes us through tough times, hard times, and we complain, we squeal, don't we? We don't, we don't like to hurt. We don't like to face hardship. But can we at least believe that it's God's best for us? That he knows exactly what he's doing. He's taking us through difficult times. Not just to make things better. But to make us better. And so we continue to move forward. Continue to move forward in what he's called us to. Things can look grim at times. And the world will say, face your fears. And there's some wisdom in that worldly 
statement, face your fears. But we don't have to face our fears alone. God offers so much more. And this is part of what Jacob's learning. Look at what happens in these next verses. First of all, it seems like he's, he's just strategizing and thinking of it on his own. How am I going to take care of myself? And then it carries on. It's not just a triumph through facing his fears, but there's a triumph through understanding that it is with faith he's facing those fears. And it says, and Jacob said, verse 9, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good again. I am not worthy of the least of all of your deeds of steadfast love and all of the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you say, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats and 200 ewes and 20 rams and 30 milking camels. And their calves and 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And these he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself. And said to his servants, pass on ahead of me. And put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, when Esau my brother meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And who are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They're a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. And so we see growth, more growth in Jacob's life. He's not just going, oh no, what can I do? But he goes back to what this journey is all based on, his relationship with the Lord. That's where we should go back as the children of the Lord in difficult times. He's now thinking about God, what God has said to him. He's going over the covenant. You heard me read three times in this passage. Jacob's saying, God, you said you will do good to me. You will do well. He repeats it because God repeated it. 
And this truth is something that we need to continue to repeat to ourselves because we, we doubt, don't we? Especially when bad things continue to happen or maybe especially bad things happen. We go, how can this be for my good? Or, Lord, this has gone on a long time. How is this helping me? It might not be helping us economically. It might not be helping us physically. And we start to question, you know, what, what, what is this about God? Why is this happening? But Jacob rehearses the covenant. And he's not just giving himself some kind of a motivational speech about irrational fears, right? Oh, I can just talk myself through this. No, he's going to God and he's talking. He's saying, God, this is what you said to me. And it's not an irrational fear. The danger is real. (laughs) His brother wants to kill him. And he's walking into this. There's 400 men coming. Were these 400 men coming with lays to put around his neck, welcome him back to Canaan? You know, was, this, was he imagining, you know, maybe a, a gauntlet that they could march down through while people cheered? I don't think he was. And I don't think that's what Esau was planning either. And so as he faced a very real danger, a threat, No, not a threat, a promise. You remember how parents used to say that? This isn't a threat, this is a promise. Were you the parents who said that? (laughs) He was facing a very real promise that he was going to be killed. And he goes back to the beginning. He goes, what's this all about? Why am I even coming back here? It's because of God, my relationship with God. So he's talking to God about these things that God promised. Lord, you said I was to dwell in this land. You're the one who who told me it was mine, and you're the one who told me to come back. And you're the one who told me, you're going to care for me. So I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you with this. And we also see some growth in this second group of gifts that he sends to Esau. Because in the first group of gifts, It sort of seems that, you know, he was sending a present that I might find favor in your sight. That's what it says. That's the wording. So that Esau gets these gifts and and it's like, I I want you like me. But here he's saying, this is a gift. This is a gift. And so it seems like there is some growth. And I guess the challenge we face is not to flip-flop, not to go back and forth, but to take God at his word, to take the covenants, the truths that he has communicated to us, his children, and believe them. And we struggle with that because sometimes we believe and sometimes we don't believe. Sometimes we, we, we go, I don't know, I don't think... This is working out the way it should work out. 
It's not just a double camp, but there's a double-mindedness, right? You know what James says, chapter 1, verse 6, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We, we're doing the right thing, and then we go, nah, but I don't know if I should, I can, I, can I trust God? And James says, you know what, you live like that, you're going to be unstable, Remember a, a guy I studied with in Bible college, and he was, he was a bit unstable, and he decided he was going to quit Bible college, and he, he came out of London, got on the 401, and he started heading for home, and he got to his turn off, and he took the, took the off ramp, and then he went around the clover relief, and then he started driving back to London again. And then he hit the turnoff for London, and he went off and was going back to school. And then he went around the cloverleaf, and then he went back for home. He said he did it several times. I don't know. But I, I think of Jacob in this situation. What Jacob might have done. I mean, he might have been questioning what God believed. But what if he turned around and said, you know what? I'd rather live, I'd rather live under the oppression of Laban and yet live. And then he hits that, that heap of witness, right? In Gilead. And he goes, no, nope. Laban and I, we separated here. I've got to go back. And then he goes back to the ford of, of Jabbok, where he is right now. And he goes, yeah, but Esau, Esau, no. And then he heads back to, you know, he could have gone back and forth for a long time. But he, he didn't. He didn't. He went back and forth in his mind. The doubts arose. The fear was there. But his commitment to God was strengthened as he reviewed God's commitment to him. God made a covenant with me. And we might say, well, God didn't make a covenant with me. He did. He might not have come down and stood face to face with you and said, I promise, but he did come down as Christ. And he sealed that covenant, your salvation, his steadfast love toward you forever, that good would come. He sealed it with his blood. So the covenant was made. The covenant was made and God is good with these covenants that he makes. And Jacob remembers that as he's going over this covenant, this promise that began at Bethel where the angels were descending and the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm setting my focus on you. You're the one. He starts to think, and he says, you know, I crossed this river with my staff. Not a group of people, a stick. And he says, here I am crossing this river again with a double camp. I'm not sure whether he's talking about the Lord's camp with him or the fact that he has so much. He has so much now 
that he can take all of his possessions and divide them in two and have two significant camps. When he crossed this river the first time on the run with just a staff. Think about it. How has God worked in your past? And are you applying that to your faith for the future? Has God been faithful? Has he shown his commitment to us? Has he cared for us in incredible ways? We could have a testimony time right now and and each one of you could stand up and say, yeah, God did this and I saw how God did that. And you know, you've probably forgotten, forgotten more things that God has done for you than you've remembered, than you can remember. I know it's true for me. I know we, we go through periods of our life. We talked about this in Uh, Lisa and I, and we said, we should have probably written that down because there were so many ways that God has led, so many ways that God has been faithful. We should write him in a book, a big book, and then whack ourselves in the head with that big book when we forget and start to question, will God be good to us now? Can he do it? (laughs) He has. He has. And he's always working to give us what we need. And our greatest need, our greater need is a greater faith. And he will stop at nothing to help us achieve this great need, greater faith. And the last section here is triumph through accepting our frailty. Let's read. There's nothing more to say before you read this part. The same night he arose, he took his two wives and his two female servants and 11 children, he crossed the ford at Jabbok. He took them, sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. I think the reason he was taking them across is he was saying, Lord, I'm committed. We are going in this direction. I'm afraid I remember your covenant. I am going. We are going. And so we'll cross the stream. Make the camp on that side. And Jacob was left alone, verse 24. And a man comes out of the bushes. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Notice that the man isn't given a name, no description, just this man appears and starts fighting with him and it gives us as the reader that same sense of mystery, like what's going on here? Who is this guy? Verse 26, then he said, the man, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go Unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God 
and with men, and you've prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he, as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. What just happened? <laughs> this is one of the weirdest parts of the Bible. The weirdest stories we could come across. And let me tell you this. If you want your religious faith to be a little more acceptable to human sensibilities, you'll just breeze over this. You, you won't talk about this with other people. You'll just sort of stick this in the background. But on the other hand... If we want to grow in our faith relationship with the Lord, we need to take a second look at what's going on here. At what takes place in the dark by this river while these two fight. And I think rather than just being confused about an odd story, we'll have more clarity with regard to our personal relationship with the Lord. Because this is what it's all about. This is what everything is all about. It's about our personal relationship with the Lord. We struggle with fear. There are fears. We have fears, big ones, small ones, all the time. But it's not about our fear. It's about our relationship with the Lord. And so often we can try and handle fears without bringing them into the context of our relationship with the Lord. We put God to one side. The second section we studied was about faith, but you know what? We, we can look at our faith and we can handle our faith without God. We sometimes do that. We handle our faith in a very academic way. Well, this is what I believe. Rather than going and talking with the Lord about what we believe and asking him, give me faith, Lord. Help me to work through this. We need to do this in relationship with him. And when we don't do it in relationship with him, we sell him short and we miss out. Oh, well, this verse says this, blah. No. Take that verse in prayer to the Lord and talk with him about it and ask him to work in your heart. Ask him to change you. You see, this is what this whole story is brought to, this struggle of faith as, as Jacob seeks to walk forward into trouble, knowing you know, we all walk forward into trouble, but this is a very specific instance where God is saying, no, this is what you should do. This is going to be tough, but this is where I want you to go. He says it very clearly. 
do we do it with the Lord? It's not just a struggle of fear. It's not just a struggle of faith, but it's a struggle with the Lord. He will not be left out. All of these struggles we have in life, all these struggles that we have in belief are ultimately a struggle with the Lord. Do we believe what he said? Do we believe what he's already done, how we've already experienced his faithfulness? Shouldn't we trust him to continue to be good to us now and in the future no matter what? But how many times do we question him? You know, if I was a perfect God who consistently did what was absolutely right to provide what is best for my people, only to have them continue to question me, I would get to the place where I would just want to dust my hands of them and say, yeah, you, you, you take care of yourself. Forget you. Do you realize how much disrespect you are showing to me? And I would walk away. But thankfully, the perfect God doesn't have my attitude, right? I don't know why he doesn't have my attitude. Because I think my attitude's perfect, right? Little joke. That's why he's a perfect God. He's perfect in all of these things. He's perfect in his graciousness to us. And he doesn't just go, here we go again. I've had enough of these guys. They're questioning me again. They're so, they have such short memories. But he continues to engage with us. He does us the favor of wrestling with us. Right? He, God could have come there and he could have snapped Jacob in two, right? Right? Say, okay, we'll begin again. You know, kind of like he said to Moses, look what the people of Israel are doing. Moses, I think it was more of a test for Moses than anything. We're going to start again. We're going to wipe these people out, start over again. I'll choose a, a different chosen people. You could have done that with Jacob right here. But instead, he comes down and he wrestles with Jacob. He says, Jacob, you prevailed. You know, he, he gives us what we need. He knows our personalities. He knows how, he knows whether we have that perfect submission. How many of us have that perfect submission? He knows what level we're at. He knows how hard we are. And we know that Jacob was a particularly hard guy. He was a difficult guy. He was a tough guy. I mean, he survived Laban. And so God comes down and goes, I'm going to have to beat the tar out of this guy. And so they wrestled all night, you know. Okay, Jacob, you win. And Jacob says, I won't let go of you until you bless me. At the beginning, mystery. By the end of it, Jacob knows exactly who he's fighting. I wonder if maybe they backed off a couple times during the night as they were wrestling and they were leaning on their knees going, 
and talking to each other in, in, in gasping voices and, and God's communicating who he is as Jacob's asking more and more questions. But we don't know. We don't know. But once again, we do know that God, or that Jacob knew by the end of the night exactly who he was fighting. He wanted a blessing from God. And God did it. Even though Jacob fought with him, and even though he had to put Jacob in a few good holds, and one of them that left a wound that was forever. He said, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. This is going to be good for you. And you think about it. This guy who, who went away, you know, crossed the river with the staff. He was a self-made man. He depended on himself, and he had the wits to do it. And he made himself into something, seemed. All of a sudden, he's going back across that river, and he's leaning on that staff. And he walks forever with a limp, realizing, I need to lean on God. I need to trust in him. I can't trust in myself. And this is all part of God making him better. God giving him a stronger faith. God working in his life. And every time Jacob went, man, what, what was it that happened back there in the dark by the Jabbok River? Every time he goes, was that a dream? He wouldn't have to pinch himself because he'd feel the pinch in his leg and he'll remember, no, that was real. God met with me. I don't know what your journey has been. I don't know how God has worked in your life, how he's blessed you in amazing ways. I don't know what kind of wounds that he's left on your body, just so you remember that he's real, that he's close, that he loves you, that you need to trust in him. But I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. And we think about this, we read about this, this fight, this wrestle, this, this battle that Jacob has with God. And we think, how does God fight with us today? And I want to share just two references with you from John's Gospel. John's Gospel in chapter 14, verse 26, he says, the Holy Spirit's coming to teach you to remember. Teach you to bring to remembrance all the things that I've done. And that's what this was all about here with Jacob. Remembering. Remembering what God has done. His covenant and how he'd helped him. Another passage in John chapter 16 verse 8. 
He says the Spirit is come to convict us of sin and convince us of righteousness. And I think about that and I think, you know what? God is still with us. He's still wrestling with us. Here are a couple of aspects about the Spirit's work in our lives. And if we will engage with Him, we can prevail. Not in the sense that we're going to beat God down. We can't do that. But in the sense that we can prevail in our faith. We can grow in our faith. We, I mean, the Spirit of God is engaging with us. He's in us to bring to remembrance what God has done. Whether it be the Scripture, the truth that we read of, of Christ in this world. The truth that he preached and the, the death that he died. The covenant that he made. Or whether it be the things in our life that he's done through your experience, through my experience. And that spirit will still wrestle to move us forward. He'll convict us of sin. He'll say, no way, that's wrong. Or he might just say, change this. But the question is, what are we going to do in this fight? Are we going to hang on to him? And say, Lord, bless me. Teach me. Draw me closer to you. I will obey. I'll go forward. Next step in the journey. I know sometimes we take a moment at the end of a service and we'll gather in groups and pray about something in particular. But what I want you to do right now before I close in prayer is to take a moment and to engage with the Lord in prayer, asking him, Lord, what have you done? What have you done for me? Covenant, Christ, events of your life. What are you asking me to do as I move forward? And help me to cling to you. Pray for just, just a moment about these things and then I'll close. Lord, another beautiful story, at least an interesting story, a story that teaches us of life, of our lives, of the lives of a child of yours, and we certainly recognize ourselves in that story, in the fear, the struggle with faith. Lord, I ask that you would help us as your children, as individuals, to come to you in those struggles of faith. To face you, to speak to you, to consider all that you've done. 
to wrestle with you about maybe things that we are too afraid to go forward with and to ask you to, to transform us, to continue in this process. We need to grow. And you're constantly doing things that, that are causing us pain and challenge and difficulty so that we might grow. Help us, Lord. Help us to find that place of perfect submission. Not a fatalism. Well, this is how it's going to be. But help us to live in the joy of knowing this life is a challenge and the life of faith an even greater challenge, a beautiful challenge. And we have the opportunity to live out our love for you that reflects and is an answer back to the steadfast love you have for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to do something significant in this life. Not just take it through from one end to the other, not just make some money and, and enjoy some of the pleasures of this life. But Lord, every part of this life is something that you have ordained for your purposes and you have allowed us to be involved to join with you because of Christ because of the salvation through the cross we have lives that count for eternity help us Lord to run with you forward into the things that you have for us. And if not, run at least walk steadily and continue to do our best to honor you. You're a good God. You are here. You're with us. Help us to be completely with you. Thank you for your love and your patience, and your mercy, your ongoing commitment to us. Amen.